really easy. It helps us a lot to just be able to track things like that. So, okay. Second week of our Three Circles series. Uh, I know some of you, whenever we talk about evangelism, it makes you like birth a small bird, but that's okay. Just be okay. Can you say that at church? Sorry. Anyway, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are, you are here, you're present, that your spirit is residing in us, that you left us with your last words, that those words are important, that your last command is our first concern, and we want to be honoring of that. We pray, Father God, that this would be the year where our faith actually comes alive beyond anything that we've ever experienced before, I pray that you would use every single person in this room to share the gospel and see people come to faith through their ministry. I pray that you would begin to soften the hearts of the people around us to be able to receive your word, to be able to receive the good news, to actually see it as good news and not to believe all the rhetoric that is against Christianity right now. I pray that you would clarify that in their minds and their hearts. We know that spiritual warfare comes in the form of confusion and fogginess and anger and bitterness, and we, we pray against those things. And we pray that every single person around us would experience and hear the, the, the truth of Christ through our life, our words, and our ministry to them. We pray, Father, that you would convict us joyously to go back and embrace again the joy of our salvation so that you just pour out of us in ways that we've never imagined possible. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we said last week, God has a design for our lives, right? That, uh, but we have departed from his design, and, and due to that, we have ended up in brokenness. Um, all of humanity, right? Everybody's ended up in brokenness. I want to begin by reading from Genesis 3 um, to look at that departure and, and, and that bro- where that departure and brokenness began. Genesis 3, 1 through 19. If you open your pew Bibles, first book in the Bible, go to chapter 3 of that book. It's the easy one, right? <clears throat> and it says this. So this is verses 1 through 19 of, of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that 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 is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, that, those few verses right there just always strike me. 
how there was this free relationship and suddenly we're hiding, right? Suddenly we're ashamed, suddenly we're hiding. And God calls out, where are you? And he answered, verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, <laughs> passing the mic, she gave me some fruit uh, from the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust and all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will <clears throat> crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now stopping there just for a moment. You remember, we've said this in recent weeks, this is known as the, the uh, proto-evangelium, right? The, the first announcement of the gospel. The very first announcement of the gospel. And this verse introduces two basic elements of the Christian faith, right? The, the curse of mankind because of Adam's sin and God's provision of a Savior from sin who would take the curse upon himself. God is announcing the gospel from the very beginning of our fall. And that is significant, I think. So it continues, verse 16. The woman said, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since, when it, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Uh, one pastor noted that it's interesting that in Genesis 3, 14 through 19, that God, addressing Satan, the one who caused the fall, curses him, proclaiming <coughs> that the coming Messiah will, <coughs> sorry, my throat is all messed up this morning, will crush him. The coming Messiah will crush him, right? He also curses Adam for following the leadership of his wife, by cursing his work, right? The difficulty of work is always sort of a reminder of the fall, a reminder of why we're in this predicament of life, right? But God doesn't use the word curse when it comes to Eve since it will be through her that the Messiah will come. That's sort of a blessing, I think. Instead, her desire, and he points out that all the, the desire of all women who will follow her will always be to rule over their, over their husbands, just as Eve did with Adam in the garden. The desire to usurp the husband's leadership role is a reminder of the fall. So just as husbands' hard work is a reminder, the wives' desire to be ultimate leader of the family is a reminder of the fall. There's always this tension between us. And men often we would admit, become very passive, don't we? And that's really not what we should be. We should not be ogres, and what all that, but we should be loving leader, leaders in our families. Sin has born a desire in all of us to overrule God's ordained sort of plan for all relationships. 
And God sort of remedies that here. Genesis 3 is the origination of our brokenness. Oh, thank you, dude. Um, uh, It is the origination of our brokenness. This happened. I want you to hear me clearly on this. I'm not an idiot. I've thought 30 plus years of this. This happened. God created the world. Didn't come from some explosion way in the past. God created the world. Adam and Eve were real. I am convinced of this. Adam and Eve were real. We have lineages in the Bible that trace back to them. It states through her offspring, the Savior will come. I do not think she's just representative of all women. I think she was a person. Science always trails behind Scripture. Should I say that twice? Science always trails behind Scripture. Right? Scientists are now seeing that through DNA tracing, that the whole human race, by the way, there's only one race, the human race, is traced back to one man, Adam. It's amazing. It's amazing. Secular scientists, when, they're, when they see this, they, they say it, blah, 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 and then they say, I know what this sounds like, but it, it can't be that. And then they don't give you the explanation. It is that. It is that. Let's get back to Scripture, right? Getting a little hot. Woo! But many people, many pastors, many leaders, many teachers, out of the fear of sounding like some uneducated fundy or really stupid or whatever, do great intellectual gymnastics to manipulate these simple truths to make them palatable for everyone. It's impossible. When you just accept Scripture, everything falls into place and everything makes sense. Amen. Now, last week, we saw how Jesus left us with a mission. And that mission was to go make disciples of all peoples. His last command, our first concern, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the same passage that I've used in every sermon for the past two years, probably. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Oh, that's our calling. Our calling to go and tell others the good news which God has fulfilled in Christ. His Genesis 3, 15 promise his gospel promise a way for us to live again the way that he designed us to live in right relationship with God and in healthy right relationship with each other the gospel as old as time as old as time God instituted a plan of redemption from the very moment of the fall and we are endeavoring right now to learn this relational, very easy, conversational way to bring the gospel to people that need, uh, that, that, that need it through the, you know, to hear about Jesus, right? Last week I asked you to write down names of people that you know on uh, three-by-five cards who are far from Jesus uh, in order to commit to praying for them and, and to turn opportunities into 
ways to just share the gospel with them, right? And remember I said you didn't have to go right home and share the gospel with them. Just start praying that their hearts change. It's God who draws people to Christ, not us, right? And I, and I asked you to keep those lists in a prominent place. I've got mine right here in my pocket, my little pocket. And I look at it and I pray for these people, right, every day, a few times a day. Um, so keep them in a prominent place. Look at them often. Pray for them often. Pray God would ruin their plans for their own lives in a good way, right? So that they can discover Christ's plan for their life. Pray that every single idol they trust in fails them. That anything they trust to, re to be revealed as faulty for them. So that they can find the unlimited faithfulness of God in Christ. Pray God would bring them to the point that they realize wholeness is actually found in Jesus. There's a lot of brokenness out there, right? Pray the chaotic world that we live in would actually push them past simple platitudes and humanistic solutions to problems which don't really address the underlying problem of sin in our hearts. Pray that God lifts their thoughts higher to himself, to creation, to understand the fall, and to understand their own need for salvation. Pray those specific things for them. This week, we're going to look a little bit closer at the place we all know too well. A place that we are calling brokenness, right? We all live in a broken world, and we don't have to look very far to realize it. In the United States today, and grant, granted, statistics are statistics. I don't know if these are exactly right. You know, I've looked them up, done my best, but they're still high. That's the point. In the United States today, 30% of children live in single-parent homes. There are over 407,000 children and youth in foster care, and 34% were placed with other relatives. So there's even more like living like that. An estimated 20 million people are ensnared in some kind of addiction right now. Schools are organi organizing drag queen shows for children in bars, and families are attending with their children. Did we ever think that would happen? No, we did not. Some big fat guy in a thong twerking in front of my five-year-old. What in the world is going on? Sorry, but that's what's happening. The FBI f crime clock says that in 2017, a violent crime happens every 24.6 seconds in America, which has to be much more frequent now. People and businesses are moving out of cities as crime rates rise. Philadelphia, our beloved city of brotherly love, has this growing, you know, number of murders every year. Wawa's not expanding there anymore and is actually closing stores because it's too dangerous. Other major retail retailers are pulling out of whole cities because crime is so bad right now. Subway's uh, usage in New York City is declining exponentially given the violent crimes committed in them. People are getting hit in the head with hammers in the subways. Criminals get a slap on the wrist, and they turn around, and they do the same or worse the next week. 
We are a Humpty Dumpty nation right now, baby. We have fallen, we're broken, and we cannot figure out how to put all the pieces back together again. And it's not for a lack of trying, right? We are all, we are the most educated people out there, right? Most of you in here have, you know, uh, degrees out the wazoo. I mean, like, I know people with four degrees. We all recognize what's wrong in our world today. We all have a sense of this brokenness. And we stoop yet again to fix them with worn-out tools. We now have to argue. We have to argue teaching godly values in the public schools. I've told you that up until 1969, I think it was, the Bible was taught in schools and porn wasn't. Now that's flip-flopped. My friend of mine, Phoenicia Redmond, sorry, Abraham, I'm going off script a little bit. (laughs) But a friend of mine, Phoenicia Redmond, just testified in front of the Pennsylvania State Senate. And she was holding up all the books with all the porn images that are in our schools now. And it's disgusting. It's absolutely trashy, disgusting stuff. I wouldn't show it to my wife, let alone my children. And she's holding it up, and it's pretty funny. She's like, can you see it from there? Because if you can't, I've got blow-up. She is a firebrand. She is just out there attacking this. Needs to be attacked. We attempt to provide health care for every single individual. We study prison recidivism rates, and we implement behavior modification programs to, to reduce them. There are all kinds of people out there right now trying all kinds of things to put the nation back together again. But no need to look at the greater society. There's really no need to look at all that around us. We only need to look into our own hearts and see the brokenness that is reflected there. Or in the broken relationships of our family and friends. We are guilty of this as well. Fortunately for us and for the world, God has given us the solution. The solution. Not little band-aids. The absolute solution. We know that God has a design for everybody's life in this earth. But the Bible tells us that we choose to depart from that design. And this has been true from the fall. And the older I get, the more solid I get in my convictions of these things. Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God, didn't they? And the biblical word for departing from God's design and going our own way is sin. There have been preachers in recent history that have said we need to get rid of the word sin. You cannot get rid of the word sin or the gospel falls apart. We all, we all sin. We all do it. Daily we do it. Right? Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God that he took it for us. Romans 3, 23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And when we depart from God's design, it leads to brokenness. That's what it leads to. We know when our communion with God is broken, 
It feels like fear and shame and guilt and loneliness. Genesis 3, 8 through 10 reveals the change in the demeanor of Adam and Eve. Once they had open fellowship with God, once they walked and talked with Him, now they hide and they cover themselves in shame. We likewise hide from God and from each other. And if you don't think you do, you're not being honest with yourself. Constantly living in some level of shame. Brokenness disrupts God's design. It disrupts spiritual life. Genesis 3, 14-15 tells us that we have an enemy in Satan who lives and destroys, uh, lives to destroy relationships, right? It disrupts family life. In Genesis 3, 16, we find pain and childbearing. It disrupts married life. Genesis 3, 16 speaks of the stress that sin has placed on the merit, marital relationship. It disrupts work life. Genesis 3, 17 through 19 tells us of the result of sin is that we will toil to scrape, toil and work hard to scrape together a living. All of us know that. It disrupts physical life. Genesis 3, 19 speaks of death as a result of sin. Brokenness helps us see our need for change. We try to cover our own sin. But it doesn't work, does it? It, does, it never works. We do what we can to fix our brokenness through bad relationships or drugs or alcohol or striving to be better. But nothing works. And brokenness seems like a bad thing to us, right? But in many ways, it is the best thing because it's how God gets our attention. God has made a way out of brokenness by way of the gospel. Now, repetition is one of the greatest teaching tools out there. And I hope those of you who are here last week are not bored this week. So let's go through this three-circle diagram one more time as we did last week. And I want you to be prepared to share the story of Christ with others. I want it ingrained in us. I want it to be muscle memory for us. Right? So circle number one, God has designed has a design for every area of our lives. This is my, what you might say to somebody when you draw that first circle. God has a design for every area of our lives. Families, marriages, sex life, money, work life, just plain life, all that we go through. God designed us to be in relationship with Him, one. And, and you, would, you would draw that first circle um, on, on your napkin that you got this morning, right? But... We all have departed from that design, which the Bible calls sin. We're born with a sinful nature. Sin comes very naturally to us. There's no one who gets it right. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means that we have all sinned and fallen very short of God's perfect design for our lives. And that would be the arrow that you would draw next. Then you would draw another circle, explaining the sin that this sin leaves us in this brokenness. Brokenness is easy for most of us to understand. It comes in the form of broken relationships, addictions, depression, uh, discouragement, guilt, shame, so on and so forth. And we all want out of our brokenness, so we try to fix it. And that's the squiggly lines coming out of our circle. We medicate, we numb this brokenness in a variety of ways. And we go one of two ways. We either become licentious or legalistic. 
And neither one is better than the other one. Some of us give up in our licentiousness. We give in to the degradation. You know, we just do what we want willy-nilly. We, we seek identity maybe through work or money or power or false sexual identities or, or bad relationships. And that is licentiousness, just letting it all go, not caring about the results. While others strive just to be better people, right? Hoping that somehow, some way, our good will outweigh our bad and we try to make ourselves to be right or we pursue our own self-righteousness. We then look at others with disdain when they don't measure up to our standards and that is legalism. But suffice it to say, we all look for ways to alleviate our pain either through being bad or being good. But in doing that, doing either one of those things, we just get more and more broken. And again, brokenness feels like a bad thing, but in many ways brokenness is a good thing because it's the way that God gets our attention. It makes us recognize our need. And when we feel broken on the inside and everything's a mess on the outside, we, need, we know that something needs to change. Something needs to be done. Then we draw another circle stating that there's Good news, that that's actually what the word gospel means, good news. Because many people don't know that these days. They're so unversed in the Bible, they don't know these things. And so God sent Jesus to live this perfect life, to die this death that we deserved, and to be raised to life again, proving He is who He is, who He said He was, and He can do what He said He could do. Jesus came to forgive sins to heal a broken world, to heal our brokenness. And then we draw another arrow to that circle from the second, stating that the biblical word for change is repent. Repent's just a simple word that means to turn around, to go a different direction, to to turn from one thing to turn, turn and go to another thing, right? Brokenness is what gets us ready to give God's solution a try, which is to repent and to believe the gospel. When we realize that the change we really need comes from Jesus, we turn to Him and we place our trust and belief in Him. We don't, by the way, invite Him into our hearts. That's not what's happening. We are placing our trust and our belief in Him, in our repentance, right? Then we draw an arrow from that to the first circle, stating that when we repent and we believe in Him, He gives us His Spirit who helps us to recover and pursue God's design. And then Jesus turns around and sends us right back out into a broken world to tell others how to find their way out of brokenness as well. So we're going to practice this again. We don't usually do this in church, but we're going to practice this today again. I want you to push past the awkward awkwardness, right? I want you to grab somebody that's close to you uh, and use your napkin that we gave you this morning, uh, and draw out this, walk out this diagram with, with the person next to you, right? As if they were a friend that you were sharing the gospel with over dinner. Again, we're using these napkins because we want to show that this is very easily done over dinner with a friend, right? Um, and draw it out, use your own words, but explain it as I've ex- sort of explained it here, and then switch and allow the other person to do it. Maybe, Natalie, you can get with her over there. I don't, I don't know your name. Colette, hello, Colette. Welcome, Colette. 
Maybe Natalie can pair up with you. If there's anybody else by themselves, maybe you guys can go together. Um, but uh, if, if you, uh, if you had, had already last week, I asked you to download the app to your phone, the Three Circles app. If you've already done that, you can use that this morning if it's easier for you. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to give you a few minutes and you can practice this together. All right? All right. All right. If you're not finished, you can finish after we're all done. But I want again, I wanted to show you the app. You can get the app on your phone. I love the app. You just click through the, the little screens, and it shows you each step as it goes. It gives you sort of a little description of what to say, and it also gives you a couple Bible verses, which I think is uber important to use Bible verses because I think it really lets God speak and not just Jason speak or you speak or whatever. So, so my challenge to you again this week is, okay, by now... You should have practiced this. If you, if you were here last week and you're here this week, you should have practiced this five times. So once in service last week, three people, I challenged you last week to share it with three people, and I told you that I gave you an out that this is practice so you can do it with Christians and you can teach them how to do it, right? But I also said that maybe you can make one of those people an, a non-believer, and then you should have practiced it once right now, right? So that should be five times. Hopefully, by the time this series is over, this will be in your head so much you can't forget it, right? And then suddenly, God's going to give you an opportunity, and you're going to be sitting at dinner with somebody, and, and, and that, that movement of the Spirit will happen where God nudges you and says, tell them, and you can just easily tell somebody, right? So uh, remember that I had a conversation with a woman who's in her 50s, I think she is, and she said, I've been a Christian for 40 years. And I've really only ever shared the gospel like a couple times early on in my faith. And I realized that I know so much about the Bible, so much about my faith. But if you asked me how to share the gospel, I would not be able to tell you how to do it. And I realized recently, in, in recent months, years, that is true for almost all of us. You simply just don't know how to do it. And again, I will say that it's not because it's awkward. It's not because I'm, I'm afraid to do it. That's part of it. It's really because I think many of us have not been active in our faith and we've, not, we've lost the joy of our salvation. Because if you have a joy of salvation in you, it just pours right out of you. It just comes right out of you. You can't help. It's like, it's like you know, you ever see that that Saturday Night Live skit with Julia Childs cutting a chicken and she suddenly cuts an artery in her hand and there's just blood everywhere. This is a terrible illustration, but that's kind of it. Like, you can't get around somebody without this getting all over them. The blood of Christ getting all over them. There, I tied it to the gospel. That was pretty good. Anyway, but um, so my challenge to you this week is to go home and practice again with three more people, but my greater challenge is that at least two of them are non-believers. If you can do that. If you can't do that, if you're not ready for that yet, that's fine. Pick three Christians and train them how to do it by practicing this with them. I don't care. I just want you to practice, practice, practice. Right? Do it at least three times, if not more. All right? And then, obviously, I, am, I would be excited if you could tell me about your experiences. Was it good? Was it nerve-wracking? Did, did something happen? How did they respond? I would love to hear those things. Um, and 
So there are my last two questions for us, which are basically the same questions I asked last week. Will we choose to take God's way out of brokenness? And for those of us that have been walking with Jesus all these years, will we choose to help others find their way out of brokenness? Will we be obedient to the Great Commission commandment? Right, Because it is a commandment. So if you're sitting here, and everything that I shared with you in this model this morning touches at you, and you think, man, I'm still in the brokenness circle. I haven't even trusted and believed in Christ yet. I want to pray for you right now. And then I want, want to also end that prayer for all of us who are walking with Christ to find again the joy of our salvation. Let's close our eyes and pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that if there's anybody in this room that has not taking that step over the, th the threshold of the wedding chamber with you, that if they've not put the ring on their finger and said, I do with you, would do that right now. I pray that they would come before you even just in the silence of their own hearts and say, Jesus, I get it now. I turn from my sin. I turn away from that. And I turn towards you. And I trust you. And I believe you. I believe that you died on that cross. I believe that you rose from the grave to pay for my sin and to heal my brokenness. And I want to walk with you from this point on. And for those of us, Lord Jesus, that have been walking this out all these years, and we feel like, gosh, we're just stuck. We're just stuck. Nothing's going on. We pray that you would start to just flood us with opportunities to share the gospel. I pray that when we wake up in the morning, we would be excited to delve deep into your word and to pray and to journal and to think about what you're saying to us. I pray that we would have that image that before we leave the house, we walk by the living room and there you are sitting in the big lounge chair and you want to spend some time with us. And we commit to doing that. I pray that the joy of our salvation would well up in us from the tips of our toes to the top of our head, that it would just overflow, Romans 15, 13, overflow, that the peace and the joy of the gospel as we walk life out with you would just pour out of us and it would infect everybody around us to at least have the opportunity to reject it because right now they're not even having the opportunity around most of us. So we, we, we pray against guilt. We pray against shame. We're not asking to feel badly about our lives. We're asking not to look backwards, but to look forward. What can you do in the future? Where are you going? Who are you speaking to? Who are you moving in? And bring us to that point where we can share you with those people. And we thank you for this. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm done. <laughs>